Whew, man, you guys are into it. Um, before we, we get into the message, I just want to say on behalf of Joe and Diana Fuller, they had a house fire on Tuesday. There's really nothing left. Um, but just want to say thank you on their behalf. Um, there was a, a church, a family in our church who took them into their home that night. And then another family in our church who had an apartment, a house they used to live in that they, they rent out that was empty. And that's where they're staying now. And just so many of you have given them money. Have I've, I've made some deliveries of blankets and lamps and paper and all sorts of other things as well. And and their, their small group has been bringing them meals and just just people have really rallied around them. So they actually were here in the first service. I didn't expect them, but Diana and Cheyenne were here. Joe's health is is not good for him to get out. And um, but um, so so this what this demonstrates to me and is an incredible example of of why the church is important and what the church is. The church is not uh, an event that we attend or watch. Uh, You can hear better preaching and better music other places, okay? That's not a dig on me or our band. I think they're awesome. I think I'm awesome. (laughs) It's another another sermon about humility today. I don't know why. Um, But Really, we're not, we're not all that, right? So, so why, do we, why do we put up with, you know, inferior? Because it's not an event. The church is a family that you're a part of. And, and when I see this happen, you, you don't put on your calendar, um, have fire take everything we own. Like, that, that's not something you plan for. But when it happens, what is the family that's there for you? And I'm so thankful that as a spiritual family, you've been there for the Fullers. And, and it goes both ways, too. So if something happens to you, do you have a spiritual family, a small group that's going to rally around you and say, we're going to be there and we're going to take you to the doctor and we're going to bring you meals and we're going do you have, do you have, to... Do you have friends here? Okay, if you just attend and leave, uh, you, you might as well just watch you know, online or something. And, and, and those of you who are online, reaching out and calling and connecting with others, that's, that's going to church. And that's what we need to do. Because the flip side is, if you're not part of a church like this, you don't even know who has needs. And so many of you, there's a man this morning and, and uh, he was going to flip me a 50 for, for them. And I'm like, just, just, they're right over there. Just give it right to them. You know, and you wouldn't know about a need. Unless you're a part of this family, oh, they have a need. A part of some church family somewhere. And so both ways, in order to help others and to be helped, man, I'm so grateful for the church. It's God's idea. I can't, you know, it wasn't my idea. Jesus started it and he said, this is what's going to change the world. Not a sermon, not a college, not a hospital, not a political group, not an army, but the church. It's the greatest hope of the world. So I'm, I'm glad to be a part of it. I'm glad so many of you are a part of it. And we have been marked to leave a mark on others. And that's what this series is about. It's going to lead us all the way up into Easter. And, and this is a mark. I don't know. if Do any of you raise your hand if you know what this mark means? Do you know what that mark means? Okay, a couple of you know what that mark means. It is the Arabic letter noon. It looks kind of like a one-eyed cyclops smiling. It's, it's, it's not it. It's the Arabic letter noon or N, and it stands for Nazarene or Nazarite. And it is marked 
on the doors and the walls of homes throughout the Middle East by the Islamic State saying, we know who you are, we know you're a Christian, and we're coming for you. And so in Syria, over the last 10 years, the population of Syria that are Christians was 1,250,000 that said, I'm following Jesus. And now it's 500,000 in 10 years, 750,000 Christians have been killed or run out of the country. And they'd have this mark on their door. Your time is numbered. We know who you are. We're coming for you. In Iraq, 1951, um, 6.4% of Iraqi citizens were Christians. Today, it's 0.5%. That means 24 out of 25 of, of the Christians who used to live in Iraq have disappeared. 24 out of 25 They've been killed. They've fled for their lives. And, and this is the mark because even in the New Testament, in Mark, there's a, a, a man who Jesus wanted to have follow him called Nathaniel. And Nathaniel's brother came to him and said, we found the Messiah. Yeah, who is he? He's Jesus from Nazareth. And he says, Nazareth? That backwater, unimportant, insignificant little town? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And so this is used as a derogatory thing. You're a follower of that guy from Nazareth, that no good town. You're a follower of him. And so even today, there, it, recently, there's been protests in certain streets in the Arab world where Muslims will, will put this mark on their shirt or hold the sign with the mark saying, you know what, we identify with, we used to be able to live together with these Nazarites. And we stand with them today because we think what's, it's not the majority, it's, 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 but some, some Muslims are saying we, we are against what, what's being done to these Christians in our countries. We have so much to be thankful for in America. You know, I, I know things aren't great. Things aren't maybe how you'd want it to be, but we have so much to be thankful for. We're marked by Jesus to, to leave a mark, and I'm going to read some verses to you today and talk about some spiritual words that maybe you never knew what they meant, or maybe they lost their, their oomph in using it over and over again. Sometimes things get stale and old, but, but here's a letter that Paul was writing to the, the church in Corinth, which is a Greek city. Um, and uh, he says this to them, Now it is God who makes both of us and you stand firm in Christ. We talked about last week about standing firm. And he anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Paul, in, in just one sentence, rapid order, gives three different word pictures of what we are if we're following Christ. And so this is a sermon and, and it's really, it's aimed at believers. Most of our sermons are. But if you're here and you're not a follower of Christ yet, you haven't asked Jesus to take your place on the cross and forgive you of your sins, and you haven't decided, I'm all in, I've surrendered, God has my life. If you're not there yet, I, I just want to say this is a great sermon for you to be here to hear because you're going to hear what does it mean to be a Christian and is, this, is that something I want? And so here's what it means. He says, you have a, God has anointed us. Everyone who is a Christian is anointed by God. Now, what is anointing? Anointing is when they would take a little bottle or a flask of oil. And I thought about doing this, but it's very messy. 
and they would pour it on the head of someone. And, and it would be a way of saying this person is specially set apart for a really important job. Um, and a lot of times it was the king. So when David, Samuel, the prophet, came and anointed David with oil, and he was saying, you are going to be our nation's next king. And, and, so, and then other, there's two other things that they would anoint someone for. They would anoint you when you became a priest. You were set apart by God for the special job of being a priest. Or if you were being a prophet, they would anoint you and say, now you are a prophet of God. And you might say, so I am anointed I'm none of those things, right? I'm not a king. I'm not a priest. I'm not a prophet. You would be wrong. You are. Revelation 21 talks about how we will rule with Christ as kings under the king of kings and lord of lords. And then the passage we looked at recently in 1 Peter, it says, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are part of a royal priesthood, royal being kingly, and priesthood, meaning a, a priest is someone who has direct access to God. So in the Old Testament, you couldn't go to God directly, right, with your sacrifice. You had to bring your sacrifice to the priest, and the priest went to God for you. And the New Testament, it says, that's gone. Every believer has access to God directly, just like a priest. In fact, when Jesus died on the cross, the temple veil that separated like, like the normal people from, from where the high priest could go only one day a, wheel, a year, that, that veil was ripped in half. Those, those um, fabric was torn, representing the fact that there is no barrier now. And so afterward, you can turn and say, you know, Priest Seth, it's good to have you here. Because we're priests, right? Priest Tim. Doesn't have a ring to it. But, <laughs> um, so, but and then the, the next thing he says, we're pro- you know what, we're prophets as well, that anointing, because we're to be, the, the role of a prophet, a lot of times we think of prophecy as predicting the future, but a lot of prophets didn't predict the future. They just talked about God, and they told other people who God was, and, and, and what, what he wanted. And so that is our role as well. We'll all, we're all to be witnesses. We're to talk to other people about God. Prophet, priest, king, we are anointed. If you are following Jesus this morning, you are anointed. And then you are also sealed, set a seal of ownership on us. And a seal was a, often a royal seal. You would put your mark on a document. And it did two things. Number one, it meant it was the real thing authenticity. This is a scroll and it was written by and sealed by the king. The other thing besides authenticity is it, it was protective. Man, these, these jugs uh, that, that have the seal of the king on it, this, you know, they're the kings. You don't steal that. If you steal that I and mean, you steal a normal jug, you deal with the owner. But you steal that jug, you deal with the king. And, and so God says, you know what, I, I am protecting you. I am saying you are mine. When God looks at you, he doesn't see your past. He sees the seal of Jesus Christ on your heart. And he says, that's good, that, that's good enough for me. And, and so that's what we are as believers. We're anointed. We're sealed, mark, his mark of ownership on us. And, and he put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. I think we all know what a deposit is. 
When I came to Montrose, I put a $1,000 deposit down on the home we wanted to buy. It cost $78,000 for our home. So some of you would probably like to buy a home for $78,000 that you could move into now. But um, 15 years ago, and, and I put a deposit down because the deposit said, this, is my, this shows that I'm, I'm, my word that I'm going to pay you $78,000 is good, and I'm going to give you $1,000 up front, $1,000 deposit showing that I'm serious about this. I'm going to follow through on my promise to pay you the rest of the money. Whatever we agree to, I'm going to pay that. And, and God does this with his Holy Spirit. Christianity isn't just about the sweet by and by. And one day we'll be in heaven and we'll have all of these wonderful promises of God. It's about the here and now too. And God says, and I'm going to guarantee you the promises of eternity are guaranteed by the Holy Spirit I give to you now. I'm giving you, I'm giving you some of it up front. And he's going to transform you and he's going to teach you and he's going to show you that my promises are true and I will follow through. And so this is, this is what we are. We're, we're marked by God, marked by his seal, marked by his anointing. And then here's another verse that, that gives another uh, aspect to what we mean when, when I say or what I mean when I say marked by God. As a prisoner for the Lord then, Paul's in a Roman prison because he preached the gospel. And uh, he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. We have all been called by God. We've been marked, we've been sealed, we've been, we've been called. We tend to think of a calling as something for someone really significant. And I'm telling you, that's what you are. If you're a Christian here today, in fact, we're going to do something a little bit different this morning. In a moment, I'm going to have you all stand. And I'm going to pray over you and commission you to do and to be your calling that God has, has put on you. Because if you're a believer, and I'm going to have everybody stand because it would be awkward if some of you were sitting because you're not ready to follow Christ fully and I don't want to make anyone awkward. But you all stand. And, and those of you who are believers, you need to understand the weight and the significance of this. It is a supernatural calling that God has placed on each and every one of your lives, just as important as that of a prophet, a priest, or a king. And, and I want to call you to that. So this is your commissioning service. Everybody stand up, and if you're watching online, you can stand. And if you are Joe Fuller watching online, you don't have to stand. I know standing isn't your strong suit right now, or if you're in a case like that. But all right, let's all, let's all pray together. Close, bow your head, close your eyes. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for those who are standing before me here today. And, I, and by the power of your word and the presence of your spirit, I just ask that you would mark them. Mark them, anoint them, and seal them with your Holy Spirit. Empower them to fulfill the supernatural calling that you have given them. God, help us to rescue our friends, to change our nation, and to storm the very gates of hell through the power of your name. Help us to fulfill the calling you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. You can turn to the person next to you and say, you are marked by God. <laughs> now, 
Here's the problem with that. Um, I don't know if you feel any different. First service, we had a couple ladies, man. They felt different. They were like, man, this is awesome. I'm like, great, you feel different. I don't. And, you know, before the first service even, I was welcoming people, and um, Chuck Scott came in. He's 91. Sat right over there where Josh is sitting now next to his friend Lloyd Putt, who's even older than 91. I think he's 95. Um, and, but Chuck was telling me, my wife is gone. I'm still here. I don't know why I'm here. What does God want me to do? And I think what he meant is, I'd rather be in heaven with my wife. And, and I'm 91, I'm not, I'm, I can't work anymore, you know, I, I can't do a lot. What, what does God want me to do? This calling, and we hadn't talked about it yet, but, but this calling, this significance, this, this anointing and this sealing and this, this awesome thing that God has called me to do. Like, what is it? And this is what we need to understand. Being marked by God is about who you are before it's about what you do. And if any of you know Chuck Scott, you know that he is an incredible man of God. And the fact that he gets up every morning and comes to church and he, you know, and, and what, everything he does and how he does it, you, you know that he's making a difference even if he doesn't realize he is. Because it's not about what he does. He's not president of the United States. He's not winning Super Bowls, right? He's not, he's not making million-dollar deals in business. But who he is is significant. And everywhere he goes, and amongst his family, and amongst his neighbors, and amongst his friends, in some ways, he doesn't even have to do anything. It's who he is. In fact, this, this is what God is. God is calling you to who before he's calling you to a do. And we think about all these important things we might be doing. I think of Jake Boner, who's our, our missionary in, in Ethiopia. In one of the largest slums in the world, Kora, Ethiopia, over a quarter million people who live off of a garbage dump. And he's there, and he's telling them about Jesus. And they have a, they have a, he's part of an organization that's got a food program for children. And, and they take care of some lepers who've lost their fingers and, and toes to, to this terrible disease. And they help feed them. And, it just, and you're like, man, that's a calling. It's not about where you serve God, though. It's about who you are. And, and you can serve God just as effectively in a kindergarten class like Heidi Zanger is in Pennsylvania than you are feeding lepers in Ethiopia. And some of you might say, well, yeah, teaching kindergartners, that's a calling. <laughs> Man, that is, whoo, God bless you. I wish I had something that significant. Jason Young, all he does, 12 hours a day. At work, is he fills up water and he drives the water, and he unloads the water, and then he goes and he fills up water, and then he unloads the water, and back and forth, back and forth, twelve hours a day. 
And you might be someone like Jason, you're like, I wish I had something significant like teaching the next generation of kindergartners, you know, and, and impacting their lives. I drive a truck all by myself taking water. It's not about the size of your assignment. It's not about what you do. It's about who you are. Because do our gas, do, the gas companies in this area, do they need Jesus? People in those places, they need Jesus. They need to see Jesus. And whatever occupation you have, it's not about what you're doing. It's about who you are. In fact, this verse goes on, Ephesians 4.1. Live up to your calling that you've received. What is that calling we've received? He goes on to explain, to be completely humble and gentle. He doesn't say, live up to your calling. Go, go to another country and tell them about Jesus. He doesn't say, you need to make a lot of money and give it all away. No, he doesn't have a, 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 a to-do list. This is a to-be list. That's your calling, to be completely humble and gentle, to be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And here's what we get caught up with and, and misunderstand about this calling we have from God. And I call it the myth of the narrow will of God. So, so many Christians think that God's will, it's like walking a tightrope. You know, and if I, maybe, maybe God wanted me to go to college to be a nurse, and I didn't go to college. And now I miss the will of God, and I'm not going to be who he wants. I just, I'm, my whole life is messed up because I missed the narrow, perfect will of God. Or maybe, maybe I wasn't, I went to college, and I shouldn't have gone to college. I should have started my own business, or I should have, whatever. Or, or even with, with the person you marry, Right? So many people believe that the narrow will of God, there is one person on earth for you. There's seven and a half billion people, and you got to find that one person. And the problem is people get married, and they're like, I missed it. It wasn't her. It's her. And so that, that's not how it works. It's not about your circumstances. Right? I, I was in a, a singles group. Um, 20-somethings, um, I'm not a single, nor I'm in my 20s, but I popped in. I'm normally not there. I kind of ruined the vibe. Um, yeah, you were there. Were you there? I can't tell who you are. Okay. Um, but uh, they meet on Friday night at 6.30. You're all welcome to come if you're in your 20s, okay? Um, right here, 6.30. Great group. There's a great spirit. Um, good, 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 I want to say kids. Good men. And women, um, most of them love God, you know. Uh, anyway, I was in that group. I'm, I'm getting sidetracked. This is what I wanted to say. So, so many, and I forgot what this was like. They basically said, you know, I thought being an adult would be more clear. You know, and, and us Old people, we know this is not, like I thought, like my parents, they, they seemed to know what they were doing, you know, and they had a job and they had a, a you know, a, a spouse or they had a family and they seemed to know what they were doing and I don't know what I'm doing. Do I do this job? Do I do that job? Do I move to California? Do I stay in Montrose? Because what if I stay in Montrose and God wanted me to move to California and I'm going to miss the perfect will of God and, 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 what, and then maybe I won't meet the person I'm supposed to marry and I'll marry someone ugly and awful and, you know, and, and, and what, what, what does God want? 
And, and to understand that, you know what, even us older adults, we don't know what we're doing either. And that the will of God is not narrow for where you go and what you do, but it is, it is about who you are. And, and thinking of those verses in Ephesians 1, your calling, be completely humble and gentle. You want to know who you should marry? First of all, you need to be the person who someone like this would marry. So you need to be completely humble and gentle. You need to be patient. You need to bear with one another in love. And if you find someone like that who is humble and gentle and bears one another in love and isn't ugly, you have found someone that you could spend the rest of your life with and have a wonderful marriage. Because it's about who you are. And so don't, don't get hung up and think there's just one person like that. This doesn't sound very romantic. There are thousands of people that fit that bill. Maybe even more. Hundreds of thousands. But, but who are you? Who you are is such much more important than what you do. And, and here's what this also means. It means the size of your assignment never determines the significance of your impact. This is so counter to how our world works, right? Um, think of Antonio Brown. He played for the Pittsburgh Steelers um, a little while back, and uh, they, they had a vote with all the players. Just amongst the players, they voted the most valuable player for that year. And so they announced it in the locker room, and it wasn't Antonio Brown. He was a wide receiver, and he's a head case. He is not completely humble. He's never been accused of being completely humble and gentle or patient and loving one another, okay? And he was ticked that they didn't think he was the best player on the team. And so he didn't show up for practice. He's being paid millions of dollars and he doesn't show up for work. And he was toxic in the locker room, just, just you know, like ticking people off and being, and, and the Steelers were like, we know it's going to cost us millions of dollars. We don't care. He is so toxic. We got to get rid of him. And they got rid of him. And then the Raiders picked him up. They have that bad boy image and they're like, we, we're okay with, and they fired him. They're like, he's worse than the Raiders. And then this, the, the, the Patriots picked him up, right? And Bill Belichick, he's got his, and they picked him up in a way that was really sly, like they weren't going to lose any money. Like if they fired him, and sure enough, within a week, you're done. And then the Buccaneers picked him up, and now he's got another Super Bowl ring. Why? Because in this world, it, it doesn't matter who you are. You can be a jerk. It doesn't matter as long as you can get the job done. How many times have you seen that? That, that guy, that salesman, he's a liar. He's not telling the truth. He's not representing us. He makes the sale. He gets the job done. My boss, he's mean. He curses. He's, he's so, you know, oppressive and he's not able to keep employees. And you know what? Shut up. He gets the job done. And that's what we want. We want someone who gets the job done. We don't care about character. God is the exact opposite. He flips it upside down and he says, it's not about the job. Your calling this afternoon might mean four loads of laundry. 
Your calling might mean tearing up the tile in your bathroom and redoing your bathroom. And you think, like, what a thankless, meaningless job. It's not about the significance of your assignment. It's about the significance of who you are and who Christ is in you. And, and that's what's most important. That's your calling. I, I had a friend, Roscoe Smith, who, um, when I lived up in Johnson City, and there were times in his life where he wasn't following God, and then there were times where he was. And when he followed God, he really followed him. And he, he would rent a lot of apartments. And as he'd rent those apartments, he would tell the person renting, he was renting to, he said, well, you know, this is just my part-time job. And invariably, they'd ask, oh, well, what's your full-time job? Yeah, I just do this 60 hours a week. My full-time job, 168 hours a week, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And he understood, this, this is my calling, to make more and better disciples. It's not to make more pastors. It's not to make better missionaries or counselors or Bible college professors. The goal is not, not a job. As a church and as, as followers of Jesus Christ, our mission is not to train people to do a job. It's to help people be like Jesus. The size of your assignment does not determine the significance of your impact. Jesus teaches this to his disciples five different times, four times in Mark chapter 10 and one in Mark chapter 11. I just want to kind of summarize how he goes about and does that. In Mark chapter 10, there's all these little kids and the disciples and the grown-ups, they know little kids are not important. They weren't in that culture at least. And they're, they're to be ignored and they're to, Jesus is important. He doesn't have time for you little rugrats. And so they pushed the children away and Jesus said, no. No, it's not the size of the assignment that determines your impact. What, what you think is insignificant can be incredibly and very significant. And so he said, let the little children come unto me and don't forbid them for such is the kingdom of heaven. And then the next person that comes along, Jesus again, he's trying to teach his disciples this lesson, is a rich man. And they're like, oh, no, Jesus needs to talk to this guy. And he turns the rich man away. He welcomes the children, and he turns the rich guy away. And they're like, Jesus, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Rich people are important. It's not the size of your assignment that determines the size of your impact the importance of your impact. And then, actually right before, he gives two more kind of explanations and teachings and interactions with people. Right in the middle of these, these four in, in Mark chapter 10, he tells them, his disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and they are going to flog me and murder me and then I'm going to rise from the dead the third day. And his disciples were like, hmm... I wonder what that means. <laughs> See, when Jesus spoke in parables, they thought he was talking, talking literally. And when he talked literally, they thought he was speaking in parables. But this is all about what, why did he die? Because of who he was and because he wanted to show that the greatest needs to be a servant. And so he had two disciples, James and John, come up to him. And they, they said, they said uh, we want to be, when you are ruling, 
the world. We believe you're, you're the king. You're the Messiah. You're going to rule this world. And when you do, we want to sit on your right hand and on your left. We want to be judges and we want to be kings with you. And Jesus said, do you, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink from the cup I'm going to drink? I'm going to be flogged. I just told you I'm going to be flogged. I'm going to be murdered. Can you be flogged and murdered? For the cause? For, for others? For our Father in heaven? Can you die for him? And they're like, absolutely. They didn't know he was asking him to die for him. And he said, actually, you will. You will die for me. But I'm not going to tell you who's on the right and the left, but I'll tell you how to get there. The servant of all is the one who's going to sit on my right and my left. It's about serving. It's not, it's not about having the significant assignments and put me as judge, God. Put me as king. No, it's, it's uh, let me unstop that toilet. Let me change that elderly man's diaper. That's who's important. Jesus is trying to explain that to them. And then the next thing in Mark chapter 10 is another story. Same thing. This this beggar, just like the children. Hey, you're not important, Bartimaeus. You're blind. Jesus, Jesus is... Talking to important people, doing important things. Why don't you shut up? Stop yelling. Stop, stop making a fuss. And Jesus said, no, no, no. And he came over and he healed him. He took time for someone who seemed insignificant to everyone else. And just over and over trying to show to his disciples, it's not about the significance of the assignment That doesn't determine the significance of the impact. And so on Mark chapter 11, after those four interactions with people, it says, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples. And I don't know what two he sent, but my guess is James and John, the two guys that just said, can I be on your right and left? We want to rule. We want to, James and John were also the guys who said, can we call down fire on the Samaritan town and kill everybody? Can we please God? Can you help me do that? And Jesus was like, oh. And so he picks two. We don't know what two. And he says, I have a special job for you. And they're like, yes, finally. I mean, there were times where he sent them out in twos and he'd say, I want you to heal people and I want you to cast out demons. And they're like, man, that was important. And now he's just picking two of us. What is he going to give us to do? Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever written. Untie it and bring it to me, and if anyone asks you, why are you doing this, say, the Lord doesn't need it, and I'll send it back here shortly. You get donkey duty. And they were probably like, oh, yes, Lord. He's punishing us. He was upset about us trying to, you know, say who's the greatest or whatever, and like, oh. Donkey duty. Not realizing that this was the greatest donkey in the history of the universe because of who was going to ride on him. It's called Palm Sunday. We're going to celebrate it in a few weeks. That was the donkey that Jesus would ride on. If he rode into town on a horse, it would be declaring that he would come as a king ready for war. Symbolically, that's how a king came into a a city after winning a war or on his way to war. But Jesus didn't use a horse. He used a donkey. And symbolically in that day, if you were a king riding into a city 
on a donkey. It meant you came in peace. And that's what Jesus did. And the crowds cried out, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're getting the donkey for the most important welcoming in human history. The Savior of the world being welcomed into Jerusalem. But it didn't seem very significant at the time. Thousands of years later, millions of people still talk about this assignment. And we need to recognize that in our own lives. There was a little boy who had just a few loaves of bread and fishes for lunch. He wasn't significant. His lunch was insignificant. Jesus took it, fed 5,000 men plus women and children. Doing laundry, blowing snotty noses, digging a ditch, driving a truck, whatever it is that God has called you to do, stocking carrots, not throwing them, stocking them, can be the most significant thing because it's about who you are as you do it. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And we never know how he's going to use different things like that in our lives. Before I give you his interview, Tom Brady, one of the most significant people in our country, instantly recognizable, seven Super Bowl rings, more than any other team, like the Steelers only have six Super Bowl wins in their entire history. The Dallas Cowboys have five or six. I'm not a Cowboy fan. The Patriots have six. He's got seven, more than any other team. Celebrated the top of his This is an interview in 2015. And it just goes to show that it's about who you are. You can accomplish everything you want to accomplish. You, you get that house. You, you have that, that spouse who's so wonderful. And you, you have the kids and they're doing great. And you, you can accomplish everything you want. And still wind up like Tom and wonder, is this it? I thought about showing it. There are some clips. You can actually find websites like this called Drunk Tom Brady. Clips of him in different places being carried out of a club almost because he can't hardly stand. He's so drunk. Taking that Super Bowl trophy on, on a boat and throwing it to somebody on another boat, you know, and, and, and then falling back down so drunk he can hardly see straight. 
Why? Because he's come to a place in his life and he's like, I've done everything. I've cemented my, my you know, um, MVP status as the greatest football quarterback of all time. But it just seems like it's, there's something more. I'm missing something. You know, sometimes we think, in fact, this is one of the, the deadly things about health and wealth gospel preaching. That's churches who say, man, if you obey God, you'll be rich and you'll be healthy and you'll have, here, here's why that's so toxic. Because it means that God is the treasure map. And you use God to get what you really want. You know, I'm here to tell you, and I wish, I wish I could tell Tom Brady, he's not a treasure map, he's real, and he is the treasure. Everything we really want, love, peace, power and strength, patience, everything we really want is found in God. It's him who has these things. And the only way to have them is to get closer to Him and to become more like Him. He is the treasure. And you have character that, and, and all of these things, you know, I, I'm not perfect, you're not perfect. It's what are you striving for? And here's kind of the closing question I want to ask, ask us here. Where has the mark of Jesus faded on you? In what character quality would it be really hard for someone to say, maybe it's your temper and your anger, and someone would say, yeah, that's not, that doesn't look like Jesus at all. And we think, well, my temper is based upon my circumstances, and if I just financially was doing better, or if my spouse wasn't such a nag, or if whatever, if my circumstances were different, then that would be better. And that is not the answer. It's about who you are. It's not where you are or what is going on around you. And in what ways? Maybe it's fear and anxiety. Maybe it's greed, sexual desires that are wrong, gossip, Envy, laziness, what area in your life would you look at? And, and if you don't know what it is, ask somebody nearby. And say, hey, what area in my life do I not portray the mark of Jesus Christ? Help me out. And then here's what I want you to do. Because it's about who you are, not about what you do. So what verse can I memorize and rehearse daily? That's the opposite of that sin. And so the opposite of angry outbursts might be joy or peace. The opposite of fear might again be peace or trust. And find a verse, just Google it online. You know, we all got Google now. So say, verse about trust, and maybe it's Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. That will bring health to your bones and nourishment to your bodies. And, and, just, and, and, and go through, you know, maybe it's, if it's greed, I'm struggling with greed. What's the opposite? It's Generosity. Sexual desires, what's the opposite? Holy desires for things that are right and good. Gossip, the opposite is praising others. 
Look up, you know, a verse about praising others. Envy, the opposite is gratitude. Laziness, the, the opposite is diligence. And, and so memorize that. Back in April and May, when the, the virus first hit, and I, I, I was just semi-obsessed with charts and what's going on and, 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 and the fear, you know, that was so palpable everywhere you turn. And I was woken in the middle of the night with a verse that came to my mind, Nehemiah 8.10, where Nehemiah says, go and enjoy choice food and drink and share it with those who have nothing prepared. For today is holy to the Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I wrote it on a three by five card and I read it every morning when I got up. This day is holy to the Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I internalized that. And I said, that's, that's who I want to be. Am I there? No. But that's who God wants me to be. Do that in your own life. And then the second question is probably even more important. Who can help me change that in my life? Who is talking and speaking into me? I met with my men's group this last week, and one of the questions asked is bas- was basically, how are you least like Jesus? And we each shared, man, I am lazy. Man, I, am, I have this, I have that in my life. And so how can I be different? How can you help me be different? How can we, how can we do this together? And that is is your calling. That is what you were anointed for. That is what you are marked for, to be like Jesus. Ephesians 4, 1, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you, I beg you, I plead with you, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a great God and we're nothing like you. And so I just ask that you would help me to just become more like you. And God, help each and every person here today, online or in person, that that we would just fulfill the supernatural calling you have for us to be different. And Lord, help us to know what to do. I mean, that is important, but it's secondary. Help us to see what we should be and and who we can be. God, as we sing this song, great are you, Lord. As we lift our praise to you, God, help us to to become a little bit more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.